The title is called The Key is Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have started off as the author of the he- to the Hebrews starts the hall of faith here in chapter 11 and lists with names a brief explanation about how they exercised that faith while they lived. Last week, we ended with the faith of Moses. The experience of Moses is proof that true biblical faith means obeying God in spite of circumstances and in spite of consequences. You continue to live by faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation and for life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that He spoke directly to His disciples, and the Spirit of God speaks that to us true today. And chapter 11 of Hebrews is one of the best known chapters in all the Bible. And we're going to go to end to the end of the chapter here today. An amazing hall of faith, not only for who's in it, but who's not. Have you ever thought of it from that perspective as you studied chapter 11? Oh, who's in the hall of faith? Who's in the hall of faith? But have you stopped to think about which name and great names in the scriptures that's not noted by God in the scripture? Here in the Hall of Fame? Think who's missing. Elijah. Elisha. Jehoshaphat or Jeremiah. You would think those some of those names were absolute guarantees being in the Hall of Faith. Why wouldn't they be highlighted? Those are incredible people if you studied the scriptures and knew what God did in through with and the amount of faith that they had in God through all this. But instead, we find some really interesting names. Sarah, and Samson, and Jacob, and Jephthah, and Rahab. Interesting. Sarah and Rahab, the only two women in the 17-member Hall of Fame here in chapter 11, but both are somewhat linked to Abraham. Sarah was his, Abraham's helpmate. His wife. Rahab, we according to James chapter 2, Rahab was like Abraham, had a faith that showed itself not theoretically, but practically. But as we study here in Hebrews chapter 11, we continue here in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Go back and read today Joshua chapters 2 through 6 that speaks of this account. To claim the promised land, God's strategy for his people was to have drive them from the wilderness up into this promised land. Once they were into this promised land, they were then to then divide from the north to the south. That promised land in half from north to south to be able to conquer and to take over that, prop- that promised land that God gave them. But there was one specific city that kind of stood in their way to be able to move through this land, and that was Jericho, the city of Jericho. You know the story. There was a big problem. Because this city was one of the most fortified cities known. It was... Very high walls, but double the wall size. 
They predict that you could actually drive a chariot and horses around on top of that wall. It was so strong. So you can imagine the picture here. God's telling his people, you're going to march around this city for seven days. You're going to walk the first day. You're going to walk around it. And then rest. The second day you're going to walk around and rest. In six days they did that. Can you imagine the, the, the sounds from the walls of Jericho. Of mocking and laughing and saying, what are you crazy Israelites doing? But on that seventh day. That seventh day that they said was an impenetrable wall came crashing down. The walls came not down block by block by block, but literally the walls came out and down. A miracle, amazing a miracle in front of the eyes of not only the Israelites, but even the people within the city of Jericho. Now by faith, we see here the walls of Jericho fell down. Now Jericho, the people of Israel had a daring faith here. Because there was no turning back. They had crossed the, the river. They've crossed over the Jordan River during a flood stage. And there was no return to go back into the wilderness. They are now committed to be in the promised land. Just as the previous generation experienced having to come and go through the Red Sea. And once the Red Sea was closed up, there was no returning to Egypt. So here's the second generation experiencing what the first generation had as they were traveling across the wilderness to go to the promised land. Now here they are into this area, ready to conquer the land as God said he needed to. But Joshua was Moses' successor because none of the previous generation, including Moses or Aaron or Miriam, could go into the promised land. Because of what? Because of unbelief. But here's Joshua leading the entire nation of Israel and is being told to walk around a city that is so fortified and so strong. By faith, they took a daring faith and said, we will walk around those walls each day. Regardless of what we can see, this is ridiculous. We're still going to do it. At Jericho, we can see that the people of Israel had an obedient faith. They did not really understand what God was going to do, yet obeyed nonetheless they did what God said to do. So they had a daring faith. They had an obedient faith. But we also see that the people of Jericho, uh, the, at Jericho, the people of Israel had a patient faith. Because the walls didn't fall down the first day that they asked. It didn't come down the second day or third day or fourth day or fifth day. It seemed like they were never going to come down. But yet the Israelites kept marching as God commanded them to do, is keep walking around that wall, around that city. But on the seventh day, we see that at Jericho, the people of Israel had an anticipating faith. Because they knew God was going to act somehow, some way, something was going to happen. Because they said when they shouted, the walls were going to come down. 
If you lean on your own understanding, you would have said, how is that ever going to happen? You don't, you have no idea what the situation is at hand. You have no idea the history. You don't understand how all of these other people have come against this city and never can go. And we're just going to walk around at the very end. We're just going to shout and the walls are going to come out, come down. Those who have faith, they trust their God. They knew something was going to happen. They may not fully understand how it was going to happen, but it was going to happen. Those who do not have faith, they can't even begin to think, let alone believe that that is going to happen. Because they don't have a belief in God. They may say they may have a belief in God, but their actions and their thoughts do not line up with their belief. Many today desperately want those impenetrable walls to come down in their lives. Walls that they've asked, please, these walls have got to go. These are hindering my life. It's hindering, these walls are hindering my family life, between my spouse, between children, between relatives. You've tried all the ways, you've tried all the techniques. But the key isn't counseling. The key isn't dialoguing. The key is not role playing. The key is faith. That is how walls come down, is by faith. Faith in the true and living God that you serve. But you say, I've been marching around, working on, I've been going through, I've been Google searching endlessly to figure out a solution to the situation. I've read the blogs, I've I've, I follow this person, I follow that person, I've asked for their opinions, and I've asked for that opinion. And none of it seems to work. None of it seems to change. I've done the 12-step, 10-step, do-si-do, and bow your partner, and none of it seems to work. I say, great. I'm thankful that you have tried everything in your own power to change your circumstance and situation in your life. I'm happy that you are at the end of yourself and trying everything. Because the longer the wall has been up between you and your husband, and you and your father, or you and your daughter, the more you know it can't be brought down by your own effort. Walls come down when God moves in. That's how it, how it works. Walls come down when God moves in. The challenge is, is many people want the walls down, but they don't want God to move in into their lives and take control. But until God moves in, You'll just keep chipping away at this wall that seems to never come down. You're going to get frustrated. That's exactly what will happen in your heart. And that frustration will lead to bitterness. And then it will lead to resentment. And that bitterness and resentment will absolutely destroy you spiritually, mentally, and physically.
That's not a maybe for someone else, not for me, but that's, that's because you don't understand. And I'm telling you today, regardless of who you are today, if you do not let go and let God move in, you will move from into this bitterness and resentment and it will come crashing down in your life and you will mentally and spiritually and physically deteriorate. But there's hope. The hope is in God. Let God move into the situations of your life. Have faith in God for when you finally realize that the human skill or ability is insufficient When you finally say, Lord, if anything is going to happen, it's going to be because of you. That's when the walls will fall down. That's when the walls will fall down. It may take a week. It may take a month. It may take a year. It may even take a decade. But by faith in God, the wall will come down. How? That's what's the number I know. Some of you are going, how? <laughs> I know someone in here has, or online has said their first thing out of their mouths right now is like, how? And it will be in a way that you would never have guessed never have planned, and never have predicted. I guarantee you. When the walls come down, and I pray you will tell me when that wall comes down, whatever it is, and you're going to say, like everyone else has, I never would have predicted that. I, would, I never saw that coming. I never thought that's what would happen. I never knew that would be the course of... Why? Because it's God moving and he gets all the glory and the credit and you get nothing for all your efforts and all your wisdom and all your intellect and all your little experts you've reached out to that have failed you over and over and over. God will get all the credit. Why do you think God is having them walk around this city each and every day to understand you're just, are you going to be obedient? Are you willing to take the step and the risk, the daring to trust that God can change the situation and the circumstances to bring him glory and to, for his purpose in your life? You'll have six days to think about this thing. But when that comes down on the seventh day, when I tell you to shout, it's not a shout of, uh-oh, here comes the enemy. It's, it's a shout of victory. It's the shout of victory. You now have victory over whatever it is that is causing a problem. If you want to see a miracle, march with the Lord and see what he's going to do. The key is faith, my brothers and sisters. The key is faith. It's just not in words. It's in action as well. Then we move on to verse 31 and we see, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. We see this account in Joshua chapter 2 verses 8 
through 14. It's interesting, alongside the names of Moses and Joshua and Joseph, (laughs) some pretty big names of what God had used through these, these people, we find this very unpredictable person, Rahab, a harlot. Joshua 2 tells us Rahab, who might seem an unusual example of faith that God would use for us today and for centuries and thousands of years and time to be. But her trust in God is the key here. She trusted in God and willingness, her willingness to, as, a, as a Gentile, a, someone outside of the Jewish faith who didn't have any relationship with God, watched and saw and experienced what God Almighty was doing through the lives of his people, bringing him out of bondage, walking him through the wilderness, and bringing him in this to this promised land where she is there on that outer wall. All she was doing is listening and watching from a distance of what God, who she did not know, but now watched the lives of his people being protected and provided and transformed and and everything in their lives. And she came to believe there was a God Almighty by watching someone else's life. Did you catch that? She wasn't raised in some family that talked about God Almighty. She was a pagan woman. She was living a pagan life. But because she was watching God's people, she came to a willingness to identify with God's people. Despite the cost, she was saved by grace, Rahab was. God in his mercy and grace permitted Rahab to live And she was saved by faith. She's a great example of what it means to be saved by faith. The grace of God. She believed the true and only God, the creator of the universe. How do we know that? We see it in Joshua chapter 2 verse 11 where she said, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's all she, God revealed to her. That's all she needed to hear and believe that there was a God Almighty. And she was willing to change and do things for God and for his people because of that belief. Which is very important to, re- to recognize because with this proof of her faith, She had been listening to and witnessing what God was doing through his people through difficult times in their lives, a wilderness experience. And that's all she had to see in watching God's people and how they were living and trusting in God that brought her to faith. Very important for you and I today. Because people who do not know God are watching your life. And when people watch your life and how God is working in and through your life through difficult times is going to lead them to them, to God. 
They're going to look at them. They, they claim they know God. They, know, they talk about Jesus. Look at the storm in their life. Look at the cancer that it hit. Look at this situation. Look at the loss and the death and all these things are going on. And look at how much peace and joy they're still trusting in God. I believe there is a God because they watched your life. That's how she came to faith. Rahab was saved even unto good works. True faith always shows itself in good works. James chapter 2 verse 20 through 26. She protected the spies because of that faith in God. She put the scarlet thread cord out the window because she believed there was a God. She spoke the truth of who God was to her family. That family was saved because she would brought that family into her room because of that scarlet uh, thread uh, rope or cord. Israelites did not touch her or the family within that. She was saved among all the rest of the people because of her belief. Because she obeyed God. Not only was Rahab delivered from judgment, but she became a part of the nation of Israel. Do you know how? She married Salmon, who gave birth to Boaz, who was the ancestor of King David that we see in Matthew chapter 1 verses 4 through 6. So imagine a pagan harlot one day becoming a part of the ancestry of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. That is what faith can do. Change a life with hope. Based what? The key is faith. She saw enough through the eyes of what was happening with God's people to believe there was a creator in heaven and earth. And that's what saved her. Faith and faith alone. Now in verse 32, we see other heroes of faith. And it's interesting how the writer writes it. And what more shall I say? <laughs> I love that. Because I just lined out all the key names in, the, in, in history of based on faith in God. And how God used that person in the, the story of God. But he, he, <laughs> the writer says, what more shall I say here? For the time would fail me to tell. It, so he's like... I can't, I can't, I don't have enough time to write everyone's name out who trusts God by faith. But the writer writes here, says, for a time would fail to me to, to tell you of Gideon and, and, and Barak and, and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the other and the prophets. It's like, it's like a summary at the very end here. I mean, I've got so much to tell you, but I just don't have the time to tell you. But it's interesting here. Understand, faith can operate in the life of any person who will dare to listen to God's word and surrender to God's will. God can work through your life. If you will just listen to God's word and do God's will. 
your life can change. You can live a life of faith. These first four people that he, the, the writer writes here at the very end here all come from the book of Judges who became judges of Israel and who were used by God and based on their faith to deliver the children of Israel from their enemies. It's amazing. So I can see why the writer put those four judges out there for us to read today. Look at Gideon. These are great examples if you know the story of Gideon. He boldly destroyed idols and was mighty used by God to defeat a much larger army called the Midianites in Judges 6 and 7. But the other side of the coin of his life is what? That he was a man who doubted God's word to him. Not only once, but repeatedly needed to have confirmation. God, are you sure that you're asking me to do this? I don't know about your word, Lord. I hear what you're saying, but are you sure that's what you want me to do? Are you sure that's what you want me to do? That gives us hope, does it not? When God speaks to us with his word, you're like, are you sure this is what God is telling me in his word? I'm, a, You know, can I throw in another little fleece moment here just to validate that's exactly what you're asking me to do? Well, then you're a Gideon. Welcome to a good, good hall of faith man. The second one is used is, is Barak. He led the people of Israel in a dramatic victory over the Canaanites, if you remember in Judges 4. Yet, he was a man who was always hesitant. He hesitated and went forward only when Deborah, the prophetess, encouraged him. But God showed that he was a faithful, faithful man. Even though he seemed to always have this hesitation to move forward. And it took Deborah, the prophetess, to do the encouragement. That's why fellowship is so important, my brothers and sisters. Because you're not in fellowship. Then how is God going to be able to use someone like Deborah to encourage you to continue to take that step of faith that God's calling you to? The next one is Samson. Oh, everyone knows Samson. He did well and he finished terribly. Lots of lessons in Samson. He was used mightily of the Lord to defeat the Philistines, yet he never lived up to his potential. Why? (laughs) We won't go into details. But... There was someone by the name of Delilah that had more influence in his life than God. Go back and read Judges chapter 13 through 16. A great warning for many how God can, you can start well and be in God's will and then get distracted. <laughs> I always say, squirrel, you know. I think he was a Delilah. Led to his demise. Jephthah. I know that's one of your favorite names. and You've always contemplated naming your next child after him. But Jephthah was not a 
Not a good one here. He was used of God to defeat the Ammonites, if you remember. Oh, God was using him mightily to conquer an army that was coming against him. And he had a bad upbringing. They had to cast him out. Oh, he had just lots of casting out and and being used by God. But the problem is is he got wrapped up in his emotions at at the time going into war and said, Oh, God, if you let me have victory, the next person that walks out my house is yours. Sacrificed for you. Now, you may not agree with me on this, and that's okay. But when I read this, and I know what the scripture tells me, I probably don't lean the same direction that many people do when you read that. Yes, it turns your stomach to think of the outcome, potential outcome. If you know the story, he got the victory. God gave the victory, and when he came back, who was the very first one that walked out the door? And you can picture it. Oh, his daughter coming out like a cheerleader. Oh, Dad, you're doing the best. Oh, this is great. You're back home safely. Oh, this is going to be great. But he made a vow to God that says, whoever walked out will be sacrificed. Now, most people think that would be going to the altar and sacrificing she was dying. I don't see it that way. Because the scripture tells me a little bit more in detail that First of all, it was against Israel's, um, it was forbidden, let me call it, it was forbidden by Israel to sacrifice someone like that on the altar. Can't do that. But when I read the scriptures, I see two things. One is, go back and read Judges chapter 11, verses 34 through 40, and you'll see the connection. Because in Leviticus 27, there's a thing called law of vows. What he was vowing is, God, whoever walks out will be completely given over to you for your service. And she has to remain, or that person will remain a virgin for eternity. Or while living. But it goes into eternity as well. But you know what I'm saying. The vow is that she will not be able to be married and she will be childless, which is in that culture was not a good thing. That's what I believe is what he was referring to. In the scripture, you may not believe, recognize that. You might think, picture her being sacrificed by her father on the altar, but I don't, I don't see that. The next is we see is David, a great king of Israel with absolutely remarkable man of faith, and God used, no question, a man after God's own heart, but oh, how he failed with Bathsheba. And his own children. He failed as a father to raise his children up rightly. Each one of these men of faith had a significant area of failure in their lives. But were still part of the hall of faith. This shows one thing for me. That weak faith is better than unbelief. You may not have the most deepest, solid faith, but it's better than unbelief. And you don't have to be perfect to make it into God's hall of faith. Why? Because it's all about a key of faith. The key is faith. God can use someone even if they're not perfect 
and their faith is not strong or deep at that point in time. But they have faith in God. In 33 through the first part of 35, we see now the writer talks about victories over circumstances. It's interesting because they don't give any specifics, just the type. And notice this because it says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms? That brings to mind David and Joshua and King uh, Asa. And I mean, there's a bunch, and you can think of it through the scriptures, who subdued uh, kingdoms or worked righteousness. Elijah, Elisha, King uh, Josiah. I mean, there's so many that would fall in that category or obtain promises like Caleb and, uh, and Gideon would uh, fall into that, pro- that, that realm of faith here. How about stop the mouths of lions? Daniel and David, of course, run to your mind immediately of God using them based on faith to, to literally shut mouths of lions. How about quench the Violence of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's almost like a, like a game show, right? I'm going, to name, I'm going to name it, you tell me the names, who did it, you know, kind of thing. That one we were easy to get. The lion was easy to get. How about escape the edge of the sword? How about David with Goliath? How about David with Saul? David had a challenge with swords coming after him. You notice that? How about Moses with Pharaoh? Would you have gotten that one? How about Elijah with Jezebel? Out of the weakness were made strong. Who would come to mind? Sarah, older age, not able to have children, given the strength to be able to bear a child. How about Gideon, Abraham, Esther? Oh, ladies are going to be studying Esther. Oh, you're going to love that that study. How about became valent in battle? David comes right to mind, right? right Usually right up front. Jehoshaphat, King Asa. And the last one is women who received their dead raised to life again. Ooh. Now this is going to be a little bit more challenging. This might be for the whole thousand points if you get this one right. No, Mary Magdalene doesn't pop up there. Received their dead raised to life again. How about the Shunammite woman? How about Zarephath? Zarephath is a common name out there, is it not? She was a widow. The widow of Zarephath. Each of these talk about victory. Each of these talk about power and deliverance. What was the commonality? The key is faith. But let me warn you. As a pastor, watch out for those false teachers we call faith teachers who quote from this verse. You too can see dead rise, the sick healed, 
and your bank accounts increase. But what I always encourage you to do is continue to read the scriptures past Hebrews 11, verse 35, first part of 35, and read the second part of 35 and end all the way through 38. Let me read it for you if you haven't, for those who are falls in that faith category of, uh, of teaching. We saw in the very first part, victories over circumstances. This is what I'll call victories under their circumstances. Look at in verse 35, part at the end. And others were, means that it's the same people who have faith, and others were, not with the fact that they overcame many things, but notice here, others were tortured. They had faith, but they were still tortured. Not accepting deliverance, even though they had faith, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 36, still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were saw in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They were wandered, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. See, God always delivers those who believe and trust in Him. But God also doesn't, doesn't always deliver those who believe and trust in Him. We have to understand something very clearly. It takes more faith to endure than it does to escape. So many people will recognize in this teaching that's out there that says if you are never sick and you're never having any major issues and you always have this wealth that's increasing and you always seem to be blessed and stuff, you have tremendous faith in God and God is blessing you. And as soon as someone gets a sniffle or a sickness or loss or something, ooh, brother, if you had more faith. There's nothing more discouraging for me as a pastor to hear someone come to me who needs to be helped because of past experiences with bad, bad. Let me be very gentle. Situations they had to deal with. One comes to my mind is when an older lady came to me and said, Pastor, you don't know me, but I need your help of understanding. Someone guided you to you, me to you. And so I'm listening to her story and she goes, I have been walking with the Lord. I mean, she was on the elderly side. Like, I'm probably walking with the Lord 50, 60 years by that point. Loving the Lord, just, just praising God, and just been fruitful over her years, and, and God using her, but at her older age, she's becoming frail, and now she's in the hospital more than not. And this one of these faith dudes thinks they're, they're helping her, or maybe it's one of you know, his wife or whoever sent her, 
sent her a book that says, you need to read this faith book because if you had faith, you wouldn't be in the hospital. Please don't ever do that. Please don't ever do that. She's sitting there being shaken while in the hospital because someone thinks they're helping her by saying, if you had faith, you'll be healed and get out of there. And so I looked at her and I said, what is the Holy Spirit telling you right now after all these years of studying his word and knowing him personally and depths of faith in him? And she looked right at me and she says, I just needed to hear that. I just needed to hear that. I said, thank you for coming. I never saw her again. But I didn't need to see her again. God, but the to, to fact that, that someone can sit there and say, you only have faith if you're healthy and wealthy and wise is insanity to me. Because that tells me you doubt, you don't know God. You don't know the scriptures. There's nothing more that brings up the righteous anger within me than to stare at someone who doesn't, who has this prideful stance of false teaching. I take them always to the scripture here. God is clear in Hebrews that these people had faith. And they went through the torturing and the torments and the trials and the, everything else, including even tempted. If you notice there, and some people say, well, how can that be of great faith of just being tempted? But if you're a person who's always being tempted and having coming against great temptations, you understand what it takes is the key is faith to overcome those temptations and not succumb to them. In verses 33 through 35, faith gave people victory over their circumstances. And verses 35 through 38, faith gave others victory under their circumstances. Because faith enable us to turn from the approval of the world and only seek the approval of God. Do I know when I see someone with strong faith is they do not seek approval from man. They only seek approval from God. That's when I'm talking to someone who's strong in their faith. Not just word, don't get me wrong, but their action is approval of God only. If God is glorified by delivering his people, he will do it. And if he sees fit to be glorified by not delivering his people, then he will do it. But never, ever draw the conclusion if God does not deliver them from the situation or circumstances that somehow they do not have faith is wrong thinking, my brothers and sisters. Verse 39, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. What's the promise? 
The promise referred to, of course, is the central promise of the entire book of Hebrews. And that is the promise of the new covenant, the promise of salvation by faith. That's the promise. All of these people that are lined out here for us and those who the writer didn't have time to even write them out is all based on the fact they lived their life by faith not because they saw the Messiah, but they believed God that he was going to bring the Messiah, his son, to save them. And they made a decision to follow and be obedient to God based purely on what God asked them to do, not by sight. Though they obtained this good testimony of faith in God, They did not receive that promise because the Messiah had not come yet. Verse 40, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God had a plan. We are provided something better, the writer says here. What is that? The readers of the Hebrew believers that the writer was writing to at that time and to us today, what is that better thing? That we would see and enjoy the complete work of Jesus on our behalf. That's what they were going to see. Hallelujah. How much more of a reason why we should have a deep faith compared to those of Abraham and Sarah and all the other ones we've been reading about. They were purely going on. God said, I'm bringing the Messiah, my son, to save the world. To make a way for you to have a relationship with God once a, for the, basically the first time. And they made decisions to live a life a certain way and, and be obedient to God based on the, God's word alone. We have the scriptures. We have his word. We have the full story here of Jesus being born. Going to the cross. Dying and being resurrected. We have the full story. Our faith should be so much stronger and we have the Holy Spirit to help her to live within us each day to live that life of faith. They didn't have the Holy Spirit to live within them. The Holy Spirit was only upon them. They only had the sacrifices that gave a temporary covering of their sin. We had the finished work on the cross that completely wiped away all of our sin. As white as snow. I had to put that in there. We still have snow. It's hard to use that when it's in the middle of summer. It's so relevant as an illustration when it's in the middle of winter. But he talks about the perfect or complete work that was done, that they should not be made perfect apart or complete apart from us, meaning they're not going to go ahead of us into heaven and had to wait until the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And then when Jesus was in the buried for those three days, he went where? Into the depths of the earth to what? Minister to those who went before us by faith. 
He cleaned out half of Abraham's bosom. He had to go to the cross before they, who went, we just read about, all those who trusted by faith. Jesus had to go to the cross and go down and to minister and witness to them to lead them out of Abraham's bosom. You know, when we started in Hebrews chapter 11, there was two verses that were key that talks about the speaking of faith in the pretense or present tense, I should say. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The other one is verse 3. By faith we understand. These are present tense. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. These faithful men and women all died in faith. Believing the promise that God would indeed send his salvation through his son. They believed it. Didn't know how it was going to happen. Didn't know when it was going to happen. Didn't know how they were. They just believed. They all believed that there would be made the way or provision for their sins by God to be forgiven. Because God had promised that. Where did he promise that? Do you know? In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own ways. But God will lay on him, capital H, if you go back and read, the iniquities of us all. They believed the promise of God that he would provide salvation and they died believing that promise of God. But yet, they didn't get to go right into heaven. They had to wait for the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The sacrifice for their sins had not happened yet. And it needed to be completed. And it needed to be a, that perfect way so that all of us now would be able to go into heaven at that point. The sacrifices they made were all made in faith as they looked forward to the sacrifice that God would one day make when he would send his only begotten son. Faith does not guarantee that things will go smoothly for us. Many times people think, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and somehow everything will be just peachy keen. Perfect. No more issues. No more challenges. All of my walls will be gone and everything will be, oh, it's going to be a perfect life and I can finally breathe. 
No, you'll finally have peace. You'll finally have peace for your soul. You'll finally will believe and understand that you have been forgiven. That your sins have been paid. And that God is starting a good work in you called sanctification. And he is going to work in and through your life and transform it by the hearing and the reading of the word of God. Remember, Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. So where does this faith come from? Romans 10 verse 17 So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're here today because you have taken a step to want to hear from God and to grow and to change by God's power. (laughs) You may have come here not knowing that's what you're coming here for. (laughs) For some of you, you're only here because you were dragged. Well, let me commend the person who dragged you here. Because they did the most godly thing they could do for that day to drag you here. To hear God's word to speak to your heart. Only how God can do that. D.L. Moody said, and I quote, Faith makes all things possible. Love makes all things easy. I love that quote from D.L. Moody. Faith is possible to all kinds of believers in all kinds of situations. So wherever you find yourself today, and it may be horrifying experience and situation you're in right now, and you are absolutely squirrely in your mind over it. Do you want that to you want that gone? Do you want that wall or walls to come down? Really? Do you really want them to go away, go down? The key is faith. The key is faith, my brothers and sisters. You must take a step and let God in. Let him move into your life. Let him take control and watch how he brings those walls down. You know, my biggest prayer for all of us, you know what that is today? Lord, increase our faith. Because if he increases our faith, walls come down. 